So Jesus was in nature God. And despite being equal to God, at that moment of realisation, and we don't know when it was, he put that divinity aside and became just like us, fully human. He chose to be human, to feel as we feel, to do the same sort of things that we, mistakes that we made, as Barbara pointed out, perhaps in the, in the carpenter's shop. Feeling as we feel, caring perhaps about the things that we care about. So he became fully human. He didn't seek any sort of grandeur, he didn't seek royalty, he didn't seek acclaim, although he found acclaim later on. He didn't seek that particularly. He just behaved as a man would behave. But Jesus, again in his maturity, had one purpose in life. And his purpose was to reconcile us, fallen mankind, with Father once more. So that, once again, man could enjoy a relationship with our Heavenly Father free from all the guilt of sin and, and all those things that mankind had allowed to come into our lives that separated us and alienated us from, from God. And Jesus completed that task in the only possible way and that was by taking our place and receiving the punishment that was justifiably ours. And every one of us deserves for our rebellion against God. And you say, well, I, I, I haven't rebelled against God. But, but yes, we have. All of us rebel against God when we um, do those sort of things by permitting ourselves to think and act in the way that are, are diametrically opposed to God's will and plan. What sort of things? Well, you name it. Impurity. Greed, selfishness, willfulness, bitterness, hatred. These are all things which are part, unfortunately, of practically every one of our natural characters. We can't help it because it's, it's in us. We've inherited that through the fall after, after Adam. And so they are characteristics which are totally alien to God's nature because God is holy. And in the first place, if you remember, he created man perfectly in his own image with the full potential uh, to be holy too. In fact, he was pure. We talk about it being the age of innocence when Adam and Eve were around. They didn't know sin. They didn't know right from wrong. They only knew perfect holiness because that's the way God had created them, in his own image. But unfortunately, you all know the story. Adam fell because he followed Eve's, his wife's instruction and as a result, we inherited sin in our natural lives. So we mucked up, all of us, we mucked up and we chose to do things our way and not God's way. 
And things went downhill from then onwards until, until Jesus turned up. And he turned up to rectify this awful predicament that we'd put ourselves in. I, for one, will never stop being grateful to God that he, Jesus turned up in my life. And he did turn up. I didn't really go seeking him. He turned up. He chose me. Why? I've no idea. I had all those characteristics in my life, and worse, but through a simple decision to ask God's forgiveness and to turn around from the way that I was going, a conscious act, and to try and go the way that God wanted me to go. And I'm still working on that, as I guess you are too. I allowed him to establish a, a new set of priorities in my life and the circumstances which I was in. And as a result, he forgave me. And he gave me a new purpose for living. And he guaranteed me a place in his kingdom forever. The same guarantee that every one of us has got who believe in him. That's an incredible gift. That's fantastic. And what's more, what's more, you might not realise it or might not feel it, but the Spirit of Jesus... The same presence of God that dwelt in Jesus, the divine comforter, the Holy Spirit, resides in you. He resides in everyone who believes. How do I know this? <laughs> well, if you want to turn to Ephesians 1 verse 13, it says this, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. I like guarantees. The longer they are, the better. Now, you've got an eternal, not, not limited guarantee. You've got a permanent guarantee that doesn't change. A guarantee, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Looks like there might be a limitation on it after all. It's when we go to heaven, we don't need the guarantee anymore because we're there. We've made it. So, we're all adopted and sons of daughters of God. Galatians 3.26 says, You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptised into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. So, if God's presence was in his Son for a purpose, and Jesus sent his same presence in the form of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, 
What does our purpose in this life become? You realise you have a purpose. A God-given purpose. God selected you for a reason. So is that purpose, is it just to uh, attend a meeting like this? Have a holy huddle? Sing a few songs? Is that what God called us to? I don't think it is. Or could it be that God has something more important for us to do? To become engaged in. You see, even Jesus, we, we, we talked about him, we don't know when he, he actually realised that he was the son of God, but we do know that um, at the age of 12, he went up with his parents to the temple and he said, I must be about my father's business. So he was aware of his father when he was 12 years of age. Now, how much earlier than that he, he realised that, we don't know, because we, we have no details, as I said before, between the ages of, of infancy to, to 12 years of age, we've just got that little window at 12, and then there's nothing at all until the time he, he starts his, his earthly ministry at, uh, at 33, at 30, sorry, 30 to 33, three years of ministry. All we know, do know is that um, it says in one gospel account he was the, the son of a carpenter and at the same instance he's referred to as the carpenter. So we've got to assume that he had something to do with carpentry somewhere along the line. <laughs> <coughs> and he even used very big hammers with, with, with tiny nails. You, you missed that bit. <clears throat> but what we do know, <clears throat> excuse me, from Luke is that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in the favour of God and man. So although he mucked up at times, his appearance and awareness to others was he grew in favour. So the general trend was towards becoming more like the way we should be as a perfect human being. So as I said before, I wonder when exactly Jesus became aware that he was the Son of God. Possibly it was at the very time that he was 12 years of age, up at the temple, sitting at the feet of the, of the, uh, of the leaders there. We don't know. I often wonder too, as Barbara alluded, would he have been a studious type? Well, I, he knew the scriptures pretty well. So I guess he must have sat at the, at the synagogue fairly regularly and, and listened to the, the Pharisees or the, or the leaders uh, who were doing the teaching and explaining the scrolls. He must have perhaps had access to the scrolls and, and read some of them. <coughs> Likewise, he must have spent time alone, thinking, praying, wondering perhaps what his destiny might be. Because I'm not, sh I'm not sure that he knew that destiny at that time. But he would have been conducting himself with care, I think, 
because he knew that his father was there, he knew his father was holy, he'd learned of the scriptures and he wanted to emanate his, his father. <coughs> and similarly, I think he would have spent considerable time amongst the people of Nazareth, just getting to know them, listening to their stories, understanding their concerns. He must have done that because he found favour with man as well as God. In my imagination, I choose to believe that in that period from 12 to 30, Jesus, Jesus was great to be around. I don't think he was a person that you, you immediately took a disliking to. I think he would have been fun to be with. I think he would have listened to you. I think he would have talked about the, the local situation, the local political situation even, the Romans and their rule. <coughs> and he would have chatted probably about thoughts on the scrolls that he'd heard about at the, at the synagogue. And he'd probably make you think about things more deeply, the things that you may have talked about together <coughs> in a new way. It's often as you talk with people that you suddenly get a new slant on things and you think, oh yeah, that's right. They've got a point there. I'd never thought of that before. It's communicating, it's relationship, it's talking with people. And I think Jesus would have done that. I think he would have had a warm personality. I don't think he would have talked necessarily excessively about himself. He'd have been far more interested in you as a person. He would have been asking you questions about how it's going and the sort of things that made you tick and things that were concerning you. He'd probably talk about your family. I don't suppose he talked about where you were going on holiday because I don't even know whether they did that sort of thing in those days. But no doubt he would have been communicating with you about things that concerned you, things that you were involved with, things that you were interested in, things that bothered you perhaps. Maybe some of the problems that you were experiencing. And that's why I believe that Jesus was that way. It's because I think he had God's presence within him. And he became aware that he had God's presence within him. Now, we have that presence in us. We've already looked at that scripture which tells us that it's guaranteed, it's within us. We have God's presence in us. When we asked God's forgiveness for our wrongdoings and invited him to come into our individual circumstances and into our lives... Because God is true to his word, he has. You might not feel it. You might not believe that I'm worthy of it. None of us are worthy of it. But God guaranteed it. He says so. And he's, he can't lie. Therefore, you have God's presence in you. The same Holy Spirit 
What does the word say? Romans 8 verse 9 it says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. Now there's two parts of us, as you know. There's the old man and there's the new nature that's within us, or the old woman and the new woman that God has created. Because the Spirit of God lives in you. Romans 8 verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2 says, We've not received the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by his human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. So what does this lead me to conclude? What does it lead you to conclude if God's Spirit within you? We can, I think, I think, we can expect to behave in exactly the same way that Jesus behaved. After all, God made you in his image. He's put his Spirit inside you. He's given you a purpose in life which you may still be asking him about, we can be just as Jesus was. Now, what does that mean? Well, I chose to imagine that Jesus was great to be around. We should be great to be around too. Jesus was fun to be with. We should be fun to be with. Not going around with holier-than-thou, long faces drawn out and super serious, but enjoying the full nature of God. And God's got a sense of humour, believe you me. Jesus would listen to you. How well do we listen to others? You know, really listen. And I'm as guilty as anybody at not listening properly but we've got the ability to do that if we apply ourselves. Jesus would put a new slant on topical matters. How much notice do you take of things that are going on around you in the world at this time? Or do you think, oh, it's nothing to do with me? Do you even pray about them? Jesus would make you think about those things you talked about with other people. And you think, well, what can I do about them? How can I encourage them? What can I do to alleviate perhaps their their problem? That's what Jesus wants to do in you. Jesus didn't talk excessively about himself, but about things that mattered. He was more interested in the person he was talking to uh, than in being concerned about what had been going on. He only talked about himself at relevant moments. Do we do the same? Are we more concerned with the others than telling our story, our bit, you know? I I know you can be in a situation, in a conversation, and you're not listening to the other person, but you're thinking, I want to get my point in. I want to get what I've got to say. I want to share my bit of information. I don't think Jesus was like that. And I think we've got to learn to try and suppress that bit of us and concentrate on the other just as Jesus did Jesus took a genuine interest in us in you, in the people that he was around I'm sure 
Are we as interested in others as we are to share our own problems? I don't think we are necessarily all the time. Some of us are. Some are better than others. But that's what God wants us to be like. So what is God's presence in us to achieve? More and more I'm convinced for us as Christians it's not in here, it's out there. It's to get alongside our neighbours, get alongside the lonely, get alongside the people that need help and to listen to them to hear what's going on in their lives, see what's happening in their circumstances and attempt to see what God is already doing amongst them and then joining him in that process. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So we've got to look to see what God is doing in people's circumstances even if they're non-Christians, and it's uh, it's non-Christians I'm directing this to. If you can't see what's happening there, how can you join with what God is doing there? You need to be prayerfully seeking what he's doing there. So I'm going to challenge you now and ask you this week, maybe the next fortnight, it's probably a a bit short this week, to find somebody who is not a Christian, a neighbour, a friend, maybe even a relative, maybe a workmate, have a coffee or invite them for a meal and find out what's going on in their lives and see what God is doing amongst them in order to not share the gospel necessarily, but to listen and to look and to observe and then from that maybe who knows what God might bring out of it. It's not going in with an agenda. It's going with a heart of love that Jesus had. So God's spirit, as it was in his son, is in us too. So let's ask him to reveal to us what he's already about in our lives and then join him in the process of blessing us.